Hey, I'm Matt Watson here with uh, my good friend Matt D'Amico and Kurt Mort, and we are wanting to discuss music today, and particularly the question, what makes a song worthy of being sang in a, in a church worship service or in a, in a musical set? What, what goes into choosing songs, song selection? And just a brief comment to, to, to kick us off before these two worship leaders talk about it a little bit and, and enlighten us on how they think about it. Perhaps we've never had such access to music in the history of the world with the internet. We have so many options for songs. I'm not saying they're all quality songs or that they're all songs that we should commend to people, but we have, we have so much music. Where do you start? How do you choose? What do you think, Matt? Yeah, well, you're right. We have definitely never had so much music available, which means, if nothing else, churches have no excuse to sing bad songs <laughs> uh, because there are just so many. We have accesses, uh, access to history and you know hymnals upon hymnals from different denominations and uh, churches of the past, and we just have, there's so much music being produced now, and we have access to all of it. So yeah, there's just no reason to continue to sing bad songs. Well, Matt, with access to so much good songs, what, what drives you to write new music? Because I know recently you wrote a song that we really enjoy in this church, In My Place, He Stood, uh, The Line Goes All My Debt Nailed to the Wood, which is just a beautiful substitutionary atonement song. And we enjoy it, but what, but, but what, what leads a person to want to take the time to carve out and, and write new music? Yeah, it's a good question because it's not like we are lacking. Um, but I do think, you know, having been choosing music for our church for uh, over seven years now, you do, I, I do sense sometimes gaps in certain kinds of songs. And, and we also follow a, a pretty consistent uh, order of service or liturgy Sunday to Sunday. And not that that liturgy provides a formula, but there are certain kinds of songs that fit in certain places better than others. Well, and I think... Cult, like in culture of congregations too. I mean, I I would be so bold as to say, well, everybody. There's been lots of people that have preached Second Corinthians. Why preach it in your own way? Um, because there's specific congregational applications sometimes, especially with music. So like, um, you know, and even when you borrow songs from another person, like we sang in my place. I'm sure in my place has different meaning within the culture and life of our congregation as it does in Kenwood. But at the same time, sometimes there's just nothing to fill that gap, and then God gifts, might gift somebody um, with the right words and the right melody at the right time to bring a significant uh, you know, breathing of the Spirit mm -hmm. into a congregation. So mm -hmm. um, that would be my, that would be my yeah. thought on, yeah. on creating new stuff. But. Kurt, no, let's just go over to you. What, walk us through a little bit kind of the process. How do you think about preparing? What, what sort of resources do you use? Um, on a particular week to think through just to walk us through Sunday's sure. over uh, you sleep Sunday night you get up Monday morning and now we're already looking forward to the next Sunday and worshiping together what, what, what kind of goes into uh, thinking about which songs you well the most select? helpful thing the most helpful tool in picking those songs is um, that the pastor of my church brother Matt Watson um, puts out a sermon card so I know what's coming well in advance uh, of the Sunday that's actually there upon me so I'll have some kind of general reflections as soon as he puts that card out I'll think of a song or two that might go well with that text I'll read those texts over um, but then the actual week of I really will drill do my own study into that text and try to identify themes 
and there are a couple um, you know we use like C- I use like CCLI which is uh, a good website to do an index search for you know certain theological terms and see if there's songs there that I, that are there that I haven't thought about but then other than that I just keep a pretty extensive library um, keep a couple hymnals I really like on hand that are really faithful hymnals with a lot of good songs in them um, you know and there's even been times where um, you know if I'm really hung up I mean I might try to break that I guess writer's block or that the musical block and collaborate with somebody like Matt or say hey what do you got on this what have you done with this you know this certain theme and they might be able to point me in a certain direction and then I mean probably the most I skipped the most important step right right off the bat was I talked to the preacher and I asked him hey man like what as you were as you were writing your sermon as you're working through your text has the Lord brought the lyrics of any familiar hymn to your heart because I think I think God uses that tremendously for the man who's bringing the word that day if as he was looking at a certain verse he was reminded of a, of a, of a scripture mm-hmm. or, or a hymn excuse me um, then I want to do that hymn because I think that's going to be a part of, of elevating God's word by that by that particular man in that congregation in that morning so yeah, well, it speaks highly of you Kurt that you would that you would value talking to the preaching pastor for the day uh, of course I work with Kurt full disclosure but Matt let's talk about you tell us a little bit about how you think about uh, the the importance of talking with the, the pre- preaching pastor some churches have several like I'm aware that yours has several but usually there's a person that preaches more than most mm-hmm. and t- tell us about that the nature of that relationship and and what what what's helpful what have you found helpful as a, as a worship if we, if we want to use that term loosely mm-hmm. worship pastor an associate pastor that focuses on leading congregational singing uh, what, what how would you describe that relationship what do you think is helpful well, yeah, it needs to exist. It needs to be one of cooperation and hopefully a lot of trust in both directions. Yeah, you are, one of you is is primarily responsible for leading the church in song, and the other one is primarily responsible for leading the church in worship through the word. So you're both doing similar things and you have uh, weighty responsibility for Sunday. So you want to you be working together. Mm. Um, and yeah, what Kurt said is exactly right. If the the senior pastor has been preparing, they probably have a good sense, especially of where they're gonna, you know, land the plane at the end of the sermon and how what what might be a fitting response. So at least in our at my church, I've got a great relationship with our senior pastor and all the guys who preach. Um, but with my senior pastor, I will I'll know what the what this upcoming sermon is. And then I'll put together what I think will work well as an order of service, and I always get his eyes on it. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I'm just looking for his input, especially for what, what song to sing in response to mm-hmm. the word. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I, can I add Martin Luther, aptly who Martin Luther, um, father of the Refor- Protestant Reformation, uh, said that the music, that hymns in a service are the, like the handmaiden to the, ser- to the sermon so like a bride and a bridesmaid so to speak um, that the word is what we want to make primary and a handmaiden's job or a bridesmaid's job is to help beautify the the woman the, the bride for her day um, and so I think it's and I think for worship leaders so I cannot I, I just have a hard time with worship leaders that 
have a prima donna complex about what they're doing and so forth because they're missing the point. Like the point is that the, the word would be made primary and elevated in the hearts of the people that day. And so the music, and the music moves us like no no other medium. It moves, it primes the heart of the people. It, it beautifies, it has the ability to beautify even further an already beauty, beautiful, beauty-filled word uh, and illustrate that. So uh, it comes right alongside. And I think as a worship leader, you have to keep that in mind as you're, as you're preparing things and so forth. So mm, Good stuff, guys. A couple other things I want to get to before we run out of time. One of them is uh, with regard to the, the order of service, you describe a, a, a song of response or a hymn. I know that I've been in, in other churches that are, are like-minded with us where uh, there isn't a song of response. Can you kind of just walk us through, I don't have a dog in this fight necessarily to say like, you must or you must not, but walk us through, like how do you think about after the sermon what, what the mood needs to be and, and mm-hmm. what's effective and helpful and proper or faithful yeah. or whatever word you want to use there? So I think the reason I, I think some churches have a song of response is that often in scripture what you see this pattern of uh, revelation and response so when God speaks there is a certain way that you ought to respond Mm. and so in some liturgies in order of service um, they have that built in where there's a scripture reading or a scriptural call to worship and you want to respond in song and doxology and so I think the, the sermon is sort of the the peak of revelation in the service and so it feels fitting I think to want to respond in song Mm -hmm. Um, if you have spent you know 11 chapters of Romans uh, in deep doctrine then Paul ends with you know a few verses of doxology and I think the service sort of feels the same way where Mm -hmm. if you've just spent 30, 45, 50 minutes in the word you want to respond that makes sense. That makes sense. Kurt, let's kick this one to you and then back to Matt. This is a, a nagging question I have, and I think it's my final question. Uh, preparation, we've talked about weekly, mm-hmm. but, but what about big picture? What about holistically? Mm-hmm. Um, meaning, I know as a, as a preaching pastor, I know how much I lean on a lifetime of preparation. Um, uh, I know how much I lean on those that have invested in me and have helped me understand biblical systematic theology I know how much also you know I lean on just the day to day devotional life how much I need the Lord to, to speak to me through his word uh, I know also how important it is that that I'm reading things along the way um, that are just, just keeping me sharp and, and reflective and thoughtful and I know that I drop the ball on those things so many times but I, I guess I, I really gave you a lot of leading statements there but I want to know how much you feel that you depend on your prior big picture preparation in order to be faithful on any given week. We'll start with you, Kurt, and then we'll with Matt. Yeah, I think, like, just, and I would say an, an ever-growing um, corpus of material that I know how to, I mean, because part of leading music is being able to actually play the right notes and sing the right notes and so forth. So becoming competent in those hymns um, so, and I mean, I guess I would go ahead and use this opportunity to say, what makes a good hymn? You know, what makes a good song? To actually, that was the leading question we had. And in my mind, um, what sets music apart is I want, it, I want it to remind the congregation of our, our great hope in its fullest picture. So a good hymn will start with um, address God as creator or the attribute of God that's being elevated. It'll address 
the, the attribute of man that needs uh, tended to, you know, by God himself, the solution that God has provided, and then finally our final hope. Most great hymns, we sing the anthems of the faith, they end victoriously looking to the day that Jesus is king and sovereign, um, not just in a spiritual way, but in an actual physical way as well. And we hope in that. So it, it inspires the congregation in the gospel. So, um, and then also um, uh, Tim Challies um, had a quote that I often quote if it, that he says, worship leaders, when you're picking music for Sunday mornings, ask yourself, would I want this to be sang around my deathbed in 40 years, 50 years, however, the, however long your life goes? Um, and is it singable? Do, can people... Get, can I handle a cappella pulling out a hymnal and singing this to you? And will it give you what you need in that moment the, to cling to and so forth? And if it's not, if it doesn't pass that litmus test, there's so many songs that pass yeah. that litmus test, litmus test that you can't, like, we only have maybe four or five songs a Sunday that we can be teaching people and they can be gaining a vocabulary of hymns and so forth. So, you know, it, it you, God love them. There's always that person, and they might come to you and say, "Hey, I've got this such and such song," and I, and that it's always well well intentioned, uh, warm hearted, and maybe it means something specifically to them. But I listen to it, and it just can't. You know, it's in a key that's weird. It's got a meter that's strange. The the language that's used in it just it doesn't quite flow or whatever. Um, and so, you know, I oftentimes have to say, "Well, no, we we have a, I have a process we go through and so forth." Yeah. There, so. Um, but as far as uh, back to the the original question, which was big book preparation, uh, just. I mean, I'm always trying to learn something new. My primary instrument is a guitar uh, that I can accompany myself on. You have super massively uh, musically gifted guys like Matt D'Amico that can sure. can jump on the drums or whatever and, <laughs> and do whatever they need to do. Um, you play the drums? No, no I'm just being oh, silly. So <laughs> I'm just being silly. He can, he can play the kazoo and, you know. <laughs> so. um, the kazoo. But, like, uh, I mean, like, just before you guys walked in, uh, to record this this podcast, I, I was picking around on a song that I'm thinking about um, for two weeks from now that will go well with the text when you come back to Second Corinthians, man. And it's got some particular picking parts and stuff that are a little beyond my ability. So I'm trying to stretch myself and grow and learn those things because I think that that song would minister well to God's people and illustrate well. So I guess, um, yeah. And then always, I, and then obviously attending. I've, I've attended the, the same conference and gleaning from kind of mentors from afar like the Gettys and, and others that, um, you know, always trying to glean wisdom and, and hear their thoughts. And, and ultimately the most important thing is just what you said, um, to make sure that my own spirit is ready to sing to Jesus. Um, it's not, you can't, you can't fake it. You know, I mean, that's something you actually have to, if you're going to lead God's people, you actually have to want to sing to Jesus too. Yeah. But I hope that this conversation gives the listener a perspective on it's it's not like a vocational pastor's uh, job can be reduced to forty five minutes worth of preaching or mm. thirty minutes worth of music because so much of this is cumulative. That's the mm-hmm. reason I'm asking this yeah. question is I think it's so important and I don't say that to toot my own horn. No. Uh, it's a very merciful opportunity that we have to serve God's people. Mm. But I think that there's a biblical theological case for the fact that that just takes a lot of time to be holistically prepared and then to be specifically prepared for events. So Matt, would you close this down? How have you seen preparation over the course of a long block of time impact the, the narrow block for an event or for a Sunday? Mm-hmm. We are, well, I'm massively dependent on a lifelong of a life's worth of preparation in the sense that I grew up in a musical family. Mm. So all the lessons, all the concerts I've had to play in and recitals, all that stuff hopefully makes me more efficient mm. and excellent, Lord willing, on 
a week-to-week basis so that I'm not having to learn different key signatures or whatever it might be, you know, every week. That stuff's in there. And then also having some theological training, I hope, makes my instincts, theological instincts and lyrical Mm. instincts sharp and trustworthy. So I think that's really it. Um, Hopefully it puts me in a position to to be able to work with some efficiency at a level of quality that uh, serves our church well. Mm. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm leaning on former voice teachers, piano teachers, band directors, choir directors, and they're all, whether they know it or not, you know, serving my church because of it. Well, I'm, we're thankful to God for both of you. I need to have you both back on sometime and talk to Matt D'Amico and Kurt more about the differences between urban and rural mm. pastoring in terms of, of worship music and and congregational leadership maybe there's not very many differences or it might be interesting to see kind of uh, how things are thought about and the kinds of tensions that you have to manage in those settings but I think it's been really helpful to talk about uh, church music and congregational music specifically and what makes a song worthy of being sang in a specific song set in a church and just thankful for the way that you guys uh, lean in to your responsibility to be faithful in leading us uh, in the ministry of the word through song thanks guys thanks a bunch thank you thank you